Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911 two man car. This is uh, the month of November, and remember, as Catholics, the month of November is dedicated to commemorating the entire month and praying for the dead. Our prayers are more powerful in the month of November, especially, again, if you're in a state of grace, if you've been in a confession recently, uh, you can be and, and praying the rosary, going to Mass, uh, having gone to confession within the last 20 days. You can make get a plenary indulgence every single day, apply it to a soul in purgatory, and I'm telling you right now, thousands of souls from purgatory, if our eyes could walk, look at cemeteries, they're ascending into heaven or being assumed into heaven uh, because of the prayers of so many Catholics around the world that are praying the rosaries, going to mass and offering plenary indulgences for all the dead. Uh, as Catholics, we didn't make this up. Praying for the dead goes back to the Jews. It's a Jewish practice that goes back to the Old Testament. And But as Catholics, what a, can you imagine? All those people that you pray out of purgatory one day, uh, please God, they're going to pray you out of purgatory. So remember to pray rosary every day. Go to Mass as often as possible. Be in a state of grace and offer your rosaries and your divine mercies for the month of November to all the holy souls in purgatory. Eddie, Amen. good morning, brother. Amen, yeah. Jess. Reporting uh, for duty. How are you, sir? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, we're going to go back to our liberal trist, uh, crystal training. People are really enjoying uh the training that we're putting on on Mondays, kind of explaining uh, some of the minutia on, on phase two of uh, the liberal crystal training. But before we go there, Eddie, I want to talk a little bit about this, the synod on synodality. Don't fall off your chair. There's an article I'm going to read here. It says official synod publication promotes praying for reptiles and devils. Hmm says, we all know the synod on synodality would be, would be demonic. What we did know was that they were going to advertise it so openly. Not only is the infernal assembly taking place in the hellish Pope Paul VI audience hall, and, and it's true. Take a look at the Pope Paul VI hall, and it looks like a snake head. Like a snake head. Uh, the, the, whoever did that architecture back in the 60s, they knew what they were doing. It was probably some mason or some satanist engineer because it does look like a snakehead if you look at the if you look at it from the very back. I've been there before, and uh, it's 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 one of the ugliest pieces of architecture, right up there with the uh, L.A. Cathedral. All right, so um, <clears throat> the the Pope Paul VI audience hall, which resembles the head of a snake, has no Catholic artwork in it and presents a ghastly-looking demon as the resurrected Christ. That's all true. Even more so, the Synod's official spiritual resource guide openly asked people to have a merciful heart <clears throat> that's on fire, not only for other people, but also for the animals, for demons, and for all that exists. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Before we get started, <clears throat> let's take a quick look. Let's, let's, let, let's first give a quick tip of the hat to Ann Barnhart who appears to have been the first to break this story on October 18th. We also want to take the opportunity to invite her once more to respond to our 
refutation of her position regarding the alleged substantial error. Okay, that's something else. So here's, Eddie, you want to read the actual article? It's three paragraphs. This is right from the Synod, and uh, it's, it starts with discernment, if you can read it for us. Okay, discernment as attunement, is that correct? A metaphor? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, in many ways, we can see the gift of discernment of musical term in musical terms. Often, we learn to sing through singing with others. From them, we learn to recognize the true and false notes. Gradually, we become familiar with the music, uh, and we begin almost intuitively to know when we are in harmony. So, too, from familiarity with God, we can come to recognize what is true and in harmony with God's purpose and what is out of tune or strikes a false note. We also learn that uh, we also learn that which is God's way of loving and acting for the salvation of the world through the new music of the cross on, of the cross. In the end, discernment is an act of love for God and for neighbor. It is the knowledge that comes through love. In discerning, uh, in discerning in and through love, we can begin to comprehend reality in all its uh, relationships and in its ultimate destiny, destiny to participate in God's triune life. Discernment then is, uh, is also an opening of the, of the heart in love and mercy to all things. As St. Isaac of Nineveh, St. Isaac the Syrian expresses it. What is a merciful heart? It is a heart on fire for the whole of creation, for humanity, for the birds, for the animals, for demons, and for all that and all that exists mm -hmm. by the recollection of them the eyes of a merciful person pour forth tears in abundance that there's emotion just that's the, there's a problem here mm -hmm. because of the emotion by the strong mm -hmm. and vehement mercy that grips such a person's heart and by such great compassion the heart is humbled and can and one cannot bear to hear it or see it, any injury or slight arrow in any in uh, creation. For for this reason, such a person offers up tearful prayer continually, even for irrational beasts, for the enemies of the truth, and for those who harm her or him, that they be protected and receive mercy. In this is hard to read even. And in like manner, such a person prays for the family of reptiles because of the great compassion that burns without measure in a heart that is in the likeness of God. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's... Okay. That, so go the, ahead, that, This is hard to take when you read some of this stuff. <laughs> so this, this document that came out from the Synod of Synodality is calling us as Catholics to pray because it, what it's, it's calling us to pray for the conversion and it names certain people praying for the conversion of demons for irrational for animals for the convert irrational was an irrational beast it's an animal and for the enemies of truth okay I get that we're called to pray for our enemies so I, I'm and also to pray for the family of reptiles what so pray for the conversion of demons Pray for the conversion of irrational animal beasts, which are animals that don't have a irrational soul, and pray for the family of reptiles, reptiles, alligators, crocodiles, snakes. Eddie, um, <clears throat> this uh, 
this is why a lot of people are called it. I'll just say this document as it reads, it's childish. Lord. This is, chi- this is goofy. This is childish. And, uh, I, I don't know how any, any Catholic could have signed this. The only thing that I could think of is that, uh, the words of Cardinal Mueller are hauntingly true. He said the other day in an interview, he said, most bishops are, are poorly formed in theology. And I'll tell you somebody who also said that back in the 60s and 70s, I forget which book it was. I'd have to check with Ignatius Press. I forget where the quote's at. Cardinal Ratzinger, who became later Pope Benedict XVI, he also said back in the 60s and 70s in one of his early books that most of the, the, the priests after Vatican II are poorly formed in theology. Well, this is the, this is the proof in the pudding right here. Remember, Eddie, and this is undersigned by the Pope and by his theologians. Where in the Bible or where in tradition do we pray for the conversion of demons, animals, and reptiles? This is not Catholic. To me, this seems like kind of an alien NASA document. Common said he. Yeah, just, you know, that's, you know, besides the screaming of, of non-catechesis, I mean, this is just, there is no catechesis here. When we're praying for demons, my my mind automatically says, but the demons have made their choice and it's eternal. Yeah. Why is this trying to change what we already know to be the truth? Just, these are bishops that have this this uh, document in front of them that's uh, uh, allowing it to guide them in the synod? I don't think we can expect much from the synod if that's the case. Well, I, I think what's going to happen is, let's just be honest. The Catholic left, when a good when a document comes up from a good pope, like Pope Benedict XVI, John Paul II, for, for example, remember the document Humanae Vitae okay, yes. on human life, on contraception? What does the Catholic left do with that document? They use it as toilet paper, Eddie. Okay? They use it as wallpaper. They give it no... They give it no weight. They disregard it. Well, that's what that's what Orthodox Catholics have to do with this garbage document. We we can't give it any weight and just completely disregard it. It just it just it's exactly what the Catholic left does to good papal documents. They just disregard it. Well, guess what? Orthodox Catholics, we look at something like this and say, hmm, this is not in the Bible. This is not in sacred tradition. This has never been the teaching of the church. I'm going to disregard it. This is that that's that simple. We're not, thanks be to God, Eddie, we live in a generation of information. In the 9th century, 13th century, maybe 16th century, uh, a pope and a bishops could get away with putting out a document like this, but not now. Because we can read. We're all literate. And we probably have the most educated class of Catholics right now in the 21st century that we've had in 2,000 years. And the average Catholic can read and say, this is not Catholic. This does not conform with Catholic norms and principles for 2,000 years. And so, uh, in a sense, I'm glad that we live in the age of information. Yeah, Yeah, Justice reflects the uh, theology of the Pope. That's basically it. Yep. Okay. Back to Liberty Crystal Training. Grab your books. Roll up your sleeves. We'll be right back. Deep dive. Jesus 911. Now, 
back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two-man car. Two uh, retired cops that love the Lord Jesus Christ, faithful to the Holy Mother Church, and we are slaves of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We're talking about Dan Schneider's book, The Liber Crystal Method, a field manual for spiritual combat. This is it, The book is phase one and two. Father Ripperger's come up with a four-phase protocol to help a person that's diabolically afflicted all the way to demonic possession. And so phase one is in the book. It's on page 309. It's a series of uh, page 309 to 314, I think it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What it is, it's a series of, no, page 313 to page 314. It's a series of prayers for 30 days that's meant to get the person back into a, into a regular prayer life, to snap them back into, into uh, uh, you know, some type of um, uh, protocol to start praying every single day and reaching out to God. Phase two is the whole book. It's, it's the different things that a person has to go to that's diabolically afflicted. And the team, the priest team is the one that does phase two with the person, with the person that's diabolically afflicted. Uh, and then phase three is once the, once the person has gone through phase one and two, and there's some semblance of order, they're now, now they've, they've learned how to live in a state of grace, they're going to confession regularly, they're living a sacramental life, now they take him to the priest, and the priest starts doing minor exorcisms, uh, usually the pastor. The pastor is like the general practitioner. He starts doing minor exorcisms and deliverance prayers over the penitent for about 30 days, and if the person hasn't self-delivered by this time and they still display signs of diabolical affliction, they move to the next step, which is phase four, which is they meet with the diocesan exorcist. So that's how this book is laid out. And uh, we're going to go, and Dan's book is phase one and phase two. This is where the exorcism or the deliverance team comes into play. They're helping out the person who's diabolically afflicted, but, it's, but for a person to be able to help uh, somebody who's afflicted, they have to have a working knowledge of what Dan has in this book. So we're going now, Eddie, to the orphan spirit on page 42. Yes. The orphan spirit. And uh, this describes one of my family members who you know very well. I, as I read this orphan spirit, uh, depression, uh, you know, can't hold relationships, can't hold a job, all those things. Uh, it, and it's, it's, it's as a result of having a bad relationship with the father. I saw that in one of my brothers. Uh, so let's pick it up here. The orphan spirit. We'll pick it up from there again. A common defect in many Christians today that exposes the soul to diabolic influences stems from what is referred to as an orphan lifestyle. This spirit exploits the lack of the relationship with God, the father, the orphan spirit usually finds its roots in an independent or counterdependent lifestyle based on a lack of the experience of true divine filiation, that of one's true identity as a beloved son or daughter of God. This sense of fatherlessness and or motherlessness can lead to a lack of true identity, a sense of nowhere to call home. This spirit manifests itself in an inability to share negative feelings with others, overcompensating depression, general dissatisfaction, and a restlessness or unsettledness. Other manifestations include inconsistency, rebellion, isolation, disconnected, disconnectedness, Comforting of oneself through food, drink, or busyness, searching, false self-image, and a lack, and a lacking belief of a true inheritance with God. 
if this describes your situation, you should confess any sins related to these spirits and wounds and also renounce the traumas, curses, and sins of the orphan lifestyle of your father or mother and ancestors. You should also seek God the Father's blessings to include the blessing of being found and connected to the Father with the awareness of, of deep belonging, of knowing our true identity as the beloved son or daughter of God, of being accompanied, seen, and known of calm purpose and of being deeply satisfied and this, and the, of the sense of family and confident of my inheritance of God, a heavenly home. I got one comment, Eddie. My son-in-law, uh, married to my daughter, he came from a very lukewarm Catholic background and he married, and he married into, the, into the family and uh, he's embraced the Catholic faith big time and he's told me, he's told me you know, as his father-in-law, he says, I've never really, he goes, going to Mass, he goes, and just saying the Our Father, he goes, it almost makes me want to cry. I said, why? He said, again, because of my, I didn't have a good relationship with my my real father and I had no relationship with God the Father. So when you guys reintroduced me, the Romero family reintroduced me to my Catholic faith and I would, I would say the Our Father, he goes, tears that start welling up in my eyes. He goes, because I never knew I had a Father in heaven. He goes, and just even that simple prayer at Mass, he goes, it, it, it just makes me want to weep every single Sunday. Again, he... He suffered from an orphan spirit. He had a bad relationship with his father and he had no relationship with God the Father. None. And so the reintroduction to the Catholic faith through Jesus Christ, realizing that he has a father in heaven, we talk about it all the time, it's made all the difference in the world to him and in, and in, his, and in his healing. And we've seen it as a family. Eddie? Amen, Jess. You know, uh, he can join the rest of us who who, who weep every mass. I mean, I wept at every mass for at one point or another for, for many years. Just um, this screams of, of Luke 15, the prodigal son, because oh, yeah. at the end of that beautiful passage, there's this, there's this warm embrace from the father and, and, and the father's uh, desire to have his son with him, which represents the, our father in heaven. So yeah, I could see where our father could, could make somebody that's coming back to the faith that now realizes uh, uh, and acknowledges the lack of a relationship with the true father and then heavenly father. I can see how that can make somebody cry because it's uh, it's about the father's embrace and not actual father, because if he's dead, then you can always, uh, you know, I, I remember people saying, go re write a letter uh, that's a very charitable letter and go to the cemetery and read it. That that could be healing for people. Wow. And, um, and wow. you know, Jess, I, I, you know, family members have done that and it, and it makes all the difference. So yeah, wow. that's uh, Luke 15, the prodigal son. Eddie, and I can say that you, as, you, and, you and both of us know being involved in, in healing and deliverance, I would basically tell you that every single person that I've known that's come to the church for help regarding the diabolical, all of them, I think they all suffer from an orphan spirit. What I mean by that, they have a bad relationship with their earthly father. That's that's generally very common. Or they don't even have an earthly father. They, they don't even know who he is. And they also have a bad relationship with God the Father. In other words, they're lukewarm Catholics. They're unevangelized. They're not well catechized. And so their understanding of God the Father is, uh, is, is very shallow. And uh, again... If, if, if you don't if you don't have that in place, uh, 
the father of lies will try to fill the void. And he does. And he does it very well, by the way. That's true, Jess. You're right. Yeah. Should we go on? Yep. Go on. So the next uh, uh, section here is called Pride and the Self, Spirit of Guilt, Shame, and Rejection. Guilt is the experience of remorse over having done something wrong. The more you focus on the past, uh, ruminating over the memory of past wounds, the more demons can work in distorting your memory. Mm. There is a positive and a negative type of shame. St. Thomas calls shame a virtue. Uh, that is a positive interior movement. He refers to this virtue of shame as the physiological distress or physical discomfort at the perception of wrongdoing, either by someone else or more poignantly by yourself. The virtue of shame is essentially a prick of conscience at the realization that you have done something wrong. It goes on. The prick of conscience can also lead to an unhealthy guilt where the accuser, the devil, distorts this uh, virtue of shame through accusing the condemning uh, by, pro by projecting a negative self-condemnatory -condem shame. It says, common spirits which co-animate with vice are narcissism, self-contempt, self-love, self-seeking behavior, self-destruction, self-abandonment, self-aggrandizement, self-assumed heavy burdens, and feeling unloved or unwanted. Of note, there is that one must catch, of note, there is that one must catch that, uh, that subtleties of the emotions. Although these may be valid human emotions, when the self and not Christ becomes the center, the demons can use them against you. He militates against your baptismal dignity as a child of God, beloved by the Heavenly Father. One thing that jumps out at me is where Dan talks about, it's a word that Father and Dan and Kyle use all the time, co-animate, is that, that demons work... Uh, it would be like this. I'll give you an example. It would be like uh, the Crips and Bloods getting together against uh, the police. Okay, the Crips and Bloods hate each other. Two black gangs from Southern California. They hate each other, but they may co-animate to go against a police department or a police station. So the the co-animating means where you have different demons that have different that project different vices. They're working together because they have a common goal. Uh, they want to take down the human person. It says a yeah, negative they, shame. They, yeah, go ahead, Daddy. No, the demons always remind me of of, of, of gangs. I've always yeah, said that. Yeah. They just, they're just gang members is basically what it is. They're, they're eternal gang members. <laughs> yeah. And they operate with the same rules, Eddie. They operate by yeah. the same rules. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, a, a negative shame, Dan writes, can flow from pride. St. Thomas Aquinas refers to pride as the first sin, the worst sin, and the source of all other sins. Thus, it is an excessive desire for one's own excellence without any submission to God. Oh, I like that definition. This defect stems from a disordered esteem of oneself and is marked by a willful disobedience that recoils against rightful authority. In his rebellion, Satan desired his own greatness and excellence apart from God. Spirits that are, that are attracted to pride include envy. So here's all these co-animating spirits. Envy, bragging, haughtiness, and arrogance, detraction, rebelliousness, perfectionism, rigidity, entitlement, machismo, egoism, distortion of truth, agitation, religiosity, spiritual superiority, intemperance, 
minimalization of sin and workaholism. The orphan's lifestyle can stem from deep feelings of rejection and a turning in on, on, on the self. Notably, a prideful response to an event often stems from a subjective response of rejection. I'm thinking here about Hollywood actors. Is that, you know, the, the spiritual defect that first flows from pride is vanity, which can be seen as the disordered desire for the affirmation of creatures or created things over that of the creator. This seeking of af- the affirmation of others and not God is a subtle indicator of a lack of connection with God the Father. That's to describe politicians and, and act, most, most politicians and most actors, which precedes the rejection response. The demon heavily tracks, traffics in this area and leads to the fear of people and their opinions and, a human, and human respect. This can lead to spirits of disordered love or compassion, self-assumed heavy, pious or false burdens, an inability to receive or give love, shame, guilt, self-reliance and self-sufficiency, feeling accused, blamed, critical and impulsive. The primary antithesis to rejection then is humility and the bearing of unpleasant events with patience. We'll be back Wednesday work. Uh, I mean, Jesus 911. Justin Eddie, we'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two-man car. Two ex-cops that, are, that uh, are in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ in service of the Blessed Virgin Mary and faithful sons of the church. We're talking about the Liber Crystal Manual, and we're looking at here at the orphan spirit, uh, as Dan describes this, uh, the way demons attack, especially our pride. They disorder our pride. Uh, they make us, uh, again, think too much of ourselves. Ultimately, at the very end, he says that humility and the bearing of unpleasant events with patience, that's, that's how you become healed from these things. This is how you fight against these things. And that's why it's a good thing to go to confession often. You have to get on your knees and confess your sins like a little kid. It's good to pray the rosary often. It's good to, it's good to go to Mass as often as possible. We get on our knees at Mass. These are all signs of humility. And that breaks, it helps us break uh, that, uh, that orphan spirit uh, of pride and, 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 and guilt and shame and rejection. And, or even thinking too much of ourselves. Eddie, we're going to move on to another topic where it says sexual spirits and anger, if you want to pick it up from there. This is a big one right here because this is where most people get afflicted. Right. Yeah, this is it. Sexual spirits and anger. It says sexual abuse and sexual deviancy are common among those who have who are spiritually afflicted as gravely evil acts will often have diabolic accompaniment. Sexual abuse and disordered sexuality frequently lead to spirits of disordered love relationships, pornography and masturbation, sexual fantasy and perversion, lust, fornication, promiscuity, contraception, adultery, homosexuality, demon of Baal, uh, lesbianism, Ishtar, demons of incubus and succubus, pedophilia, Jezebel, reduction, uh, unnatural intercourse. Yeah. um, uh, Yeah. Uh, unnatural intercourse, lack of modesty, and incest. Common psychological wounds are 
uh, depression, which leads to hopelessness and despair. Hmm. Sexual, you know, just this is one thing that we need to remember. You know, it seems to the average person that that uh, you know, there's so much to deal with. There's so many spirits, and and it's just look. I remember something Father John Carapa used to say all the time at many of his conferences. He used to say, Jesus doesn't just have mercy. Jesus is mercy. Yeah. And so we have to realize that, you know, when we go to confession, we're, we're confessing, we're admitting our sins to, to Almighty God, who is mercy itself. Yeah. Anyway, this yep. article goes on. It says, sexual abuse can lead to deep anger and rage. Anger is an emotional sense of displeasure and usually antagonism aroused by real or apparent injury. Whether hot or cold, this spirit of anger can lead to spirits of resentment, unforgiveness, spite, and animosity, brooding over injuries, bitterness, a spirit of death, uh, stubbornness, confusion, uh, self-mutilation, marital discord, foul language, Lying, gossip, sarcasm, cynicism, and blasphemy. Mm. So, yeah, just I think that, uh, you know, uh, I think the orphan spirit or the orphan lifestyle, like they're talking about here, uh, occurs to people that have been uh, somewhat successful in their lives. But what they do is they start focusing on themselves, their own their own characteristics, their, their own, uh, uh, you know, the things that have benefited them. And they forget patience. They forget humility. And that's what the article is basically saying is that we have to be humble in whatever state of life we're in, even if we are successful. Uh, and that's that's one thing that we have to be is, is, is have is humility. I've heard St. Augustine, he wrote that, the three weapons against the diabolical that are most effective, he says, number one, humility, number two, humility, number three, humility. That's from St. Augustine, Bishop of Hippo. In other words, <laughs> it's going to take us the rest of our life to, to, to get there, every single one of us, because the, the only persons that were, were completely mastered humility are Jesus, because he's the son of God. So he had complete mastery over his, his passions. And he had no concupiscence. And the Blessed Virgin Mary, because she, by a singular grace, she was given the grace of God to master all her passions, appetites, and uh, she had perfect humility. Uh, the catechism calls her the all, the all humble and the all holy one. And Eddie, now just, we're going to go. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I was, uh, was going to say you, you talk about some of the, uh, the the famous people in our lives. You know, the people we see on television, the the uh, uh, you know the the, the hosts, even Fox News. There's a certain. Um, arrogance there and and so yeah humility has to come in as part of it because without humility uh for me it just I, it just beams from 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 the radio from the television that people have a lot of uh, uh a lot of this uh the defects that we're talking about here yeah they they like you said they think too much of themselves eddie let's go into the uh now dan's gonna go on the offensive here and how to how to uh, overcome some of these things He's called it's called using your hatchet, spiritual defects, vices, and spirits. Hatchet, talking about, uh, you know, a, a hatchet that you use to, to a weapon to, to, you know, to protect yourself. He says, bear in mind that the demon sees you differently than your unbaptized neighbor. He recognizes the indelible mark of baptism, which conforms you to Christ and the church. Any behavior of yours, obviously, with this mark, can draw the demon to you particularly within one's vocational construct. For this reason, he is drawn to us by a pattern break in righteous behavior. This is especially true of a deviant behavior that presents a vulnerability to the construct of a sacrament through which grace flows. 
A married man who takes his family to Mass every Sunday but looks at pornography presents a pattern break. A person bearing the indelible mark of baptism who has an abortion or in any way participates in an abortion likewise presents a pattern break. The priest who does not say Mass on his day off and instead attends a punk rock concert exhibits a pattern change from his vocational sacrament. Any behavior inconsistent with the ordering of natural law, divine positive law, vocation, and Christian dignity creates a vulnerability that attracts the demon. What I hear Dan saying is that, again, uh, doing things that you know that are hypocritical or inconsistent with your with you, with you as a Roman Catholic Christian, father, husband, brother, son, uh, that's a pattern break. The demon, the demon says, "Ha." Huh, this guy here is leaving himself vulnerable to me. I'm going to get in and I'm going to harass this guy or her. Yeah, just, you know, that, that's something we have to realize is, is that a, a good Catholic in, in this day and age presents a target rich environment for some of the demons, right? We are the ones that they focus on when there's a pattern break. So they're, they're, they're observing us all the time, just so when we're in a state of grace and, and, and they know we're in a state of grace, they're just observing us, they're watching us. But when we break that pattern and we sin, especially mortal sin, they're attracted to us because they know, okay, uh, that's, they're, they're vulnerable now. Let's see what we can do to mix up their life and, and ultimately cause them to destroy themselves. And that's what yep. happens here. Yep. They're saying that guy just opened the door just a little bit. I'm going to get right in and harass them. Go yep. ahead, Eddie. So it says, um, if you recognize any of these above defects, vices, and spirits active in you, use your hatchet and militate against them uh, with virtue and sacramental confession. That's a weapon too, just confession. Mm -hmm. As I wrote elsewhere, by developing the virtues that correspond to the vices associated with the spirit, the soul now grows in self-mastery. As the scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, often uh, we do not counterattack with the virtue. The demon is further empowered by vices. Developing the virtues that correspond to the vices associated with the spirit assist the soul in self-mastery. Thus, confessing these vices by name helps to break their hold over us. To rebuke, renounce, and reject, moreover, is a vital step to becoming free of these spirits and their effects. When Jesus, when Jesus exercised the Gerasene demoniac, for example, he demanded the demon to reveal its name. Legion is my name, Mark 5, 9. In a similar manner, during the solemn rite of exorcism, the priest demands that the demons reveal his name. Jesus was asserting his authority over the ancient enemy of man, and the priest acting in persona Christi continues the same activity of dominion over evil spirits. In the primordial garden, God gave Adam a dominion over all creatures by giving him authority to name them. Genesis 1, 28 and 2, 19. Accordingly, when you name the spirit and vice, first in the confessional and then reject, renounce and rebuke it by name, you loosen its power over you. Continue, Eddie. The list of vices can be overwhelming. So begin with the main one that you see. For example, a bird hunter knows the importance of picking their target before shooting. Quail, for example, travel in, uh, travel in ground cover and fly only in short bursts when evading danger. When a covey of quail is flushed by a hunter or his dogs, the entire covey floods the air together in a moment of chaos before quickly finding cover again. Uh, the window for the hunter to shoot opens and closes very quickly. The, the instinct of the hunter must override the tendency to shoot 
into the covey in the hopes of hitting one of them. This never works. The experienced hunter knows he must pick one bird, take aim, and pull the trigger. Just I've I've hunted quail with my father years ago, and uh, you know what? It's true. In that moment of chaos, Jess, in the moment when when the birds fly and the dogs flush the the, uh, uh, the you you know it can be it's possible that some of us lose the our training. We forget what the training is, and just we revert to to the natural instinct, which is just just fire. You know, you'll get something, but we have to be precise with our prayers, precise in our confession, so that uh, God knows we've identified our, our, our defects, and we're going to hopefully confess them and reject, renounce, and rebuke them as well. Amen. Like hunting birds, you must flush out the demons and vice through prayer and then take aim. We, we refer to this process as severing of spirits. This is done by a priest in deliverance and minor exorcism, but can also be done by individuals over themselves. Rogers' advice to his rangers to kill him with your hatchet can be applied here. Once you identify these enemies in your soul, first confess the spiritual defect and any related sins, and then use your hatchet, that is your will, to sever them. Uh, list, list evil spirits and vices that you need to sever. And next week, Eddie, will go through it, through some of the renunciation prayers uh, that somebody should go through to, again, uh, to sever, to use their hatchet, to sever themselves from these evil spirits that are tormenting them. So we'll pick we'll pick it up next week on how to on how to actually do this. Well, you're listening to you've been listening to Jesus 911 Two Man Car. Just that every single Monday here, going through liver crystal training with y'all. Um, up next, Gary Machuda, hands on apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center at. Oh, we got one more yes, one more segment. We'll be back. Don't go anywhere. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Back Jesus 911. I just uh, I jumped the shark. I uh <laughs> I don't know what my 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 well, I don't know what clock I was looking at, but uh we're back. And well, let's get into Eddie the prayer of renunciation. So, the first thing that one somebody should do, once they realize that they have a proclivity to a certain type of sin, and of course, as Father Ripperger says, there's a demon attached to every mortal sin. Let's just say a common one, men, pornography, masturbation. And once they see, oh no, man, uh, it's, it's Friday night, I can't go to confession, it's not till tomorrow, and I'm, I just finished watching pornography. I've just finished, you know, pleasuring myself. Oh, no. And a lot of people will say, uh, Eddie, Jesse, can you pray for me? Well, you know what I tell them? I'm saying, I'll pray for you, but let me teach you to pray for yourself. How do I do it? I said, go in front of the Blessed Sacrament, or if you can, if a church is closed, get in front of a picture of our Lord and Our Lady or a big crucifix and hold it. And do this prayer of renunciation. You, through an act of your will, you must renounce this sin. I can't do it for you. I, you can't go to some, you know, Lena's charismatic uh, uh, prayer group uh, over at her basement and, and have her pray over you. It's not going to work. You have to do it. And so here's the prayer that Father Ripperger has written, prayer of renunciation. 
I completely and utterly reject with the full force of my will. Then you insert the, the disorder, uh, you know, the, the disorder of the sin of pornography, the sin of masturbation. I do this in the holy names of Jesus and Mary and in, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You do it two more times. You do it three times. Why? Because oftentimes when people are cursed, they're cursed three times by Satanists and witches. If this came through a curse, this is meant to offset the curse and in honor of the Trinity. So you would say that prayer of renunciation three times. And again, it's more important that, the, that we teach people to pray for themselves. Why? Because most people self-deliver from the diabolical. It's an act of their will. See, when somebody just goes to a session and has people pray over them, they become passive and they don't engage. They just sit there kind of la-di-da, go off into a trance, they fall asleep. It, when you have them pray for themselves like Libra Christa does in phase two, it engages them in the battle against the demon that they've invited. And then you would have them, you tell them, okay, now that you've done the threefold prayer of renunciation, and this is where, by the way, the, 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 the deliverance team comes in. They do all this with the person. It's not the priest that does it. It's the team that does all this. They get them ready for the priest. Then you teach the person, okay, now you're going to do a perimeter prayer. This is, this is around your room and around your house where you're, where you're feeling this diabolical affliction. Eddie, you want to read the perimeter prayer that you would teach somebody how to do when they're feeling the attacks yeah. of the death? Yeah. Yeah, this is it. It says, I adjure you evil spirits in the name of the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus of Nazareth, to depart from here. I cast you out every unclean spirit, every phantom, every encroachment of the devil. Yield then to God. You are vanquished in your citadel, all you vile demons, the most sovereign queen of heaven, the glorious and ever virgin Mary, through her immaculate purity, drives you out. Before her countenance, you must flee. Give way, you evil spirits, to the queen of heaven. She is destined by almighty God to crush your head with her heel. Wow, that's a beautiful jest. I love that one. Yeah, so these are the two prayers that that you would teach somebody that's struggling with some type of sin, you'd say, okay, dude, tr time to put on your big boy pants and time to pray for yourself. You got to do this on your own. I can't go to the gym and get in shape for you. I can't go to the track and prepare for the marathon for you. You have to do it. And so this prayer of renunciation that you would teach somebody to do it three times, every time they feel this, this, this temptation coming on. And also this, a daily perimeter prayer, praying that God will drive out any demons around their perimeter, which is their bedroom, basically, and their house. Yes. Uh, this, yeah. This is, this is something that we talk about, uh, the authority that we have as baptized Christians. Yes. We have authority given to us by Almighty God uh, as, as individual Christians, Catholic Christians, yes. uh, do, because we do in certain situations have this type of authority. So, it's not, you know, it's, it's it's not in a vacuum, Jess. This authority is given to us in Luke chapter 10 and Mark chapter 16, where uh, we have the authority to tread on the serpents. God gives us the power to tread on serpents and cast out demons. Uh, it, you know, in, in those same passages, it says nothing shall hurt us. We could lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Some of us have that gift, not everybody. Yeah. Priests certainly have it. 
Uh, yes. I wish more would use that. But, you know, they, they put their hands on people and people recover. If we drink anything deadly, no harm will come to us. So those are the things we have to remember that it's given to us in Holy Scripture, just that in these uh, uh, certain situations where you have authority over yourself and people are not yes. taking full advantage of that. Absolutely. And, and there's also a clear verse in Romans chapter 16, verse 20. It says, then the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Notice that. Then the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As uh, and let's not let's not forget that our spiritual authority it actually it actually stems from our natural authority. For example, I have natural rights to my car. I could get in my car and drive anywhere I want. I can't do that with my neighbor's car. Because he'd call the police on me. I have natural rights over... I could pull weeds in my yard or grow vegetables. It's my yard. I can't do that in my neighbor's yard. You say, hey, Romero, what are you doing over here? Get out, get out of my property. Why'd you jump the fence? Uh, I have natural rights to rearrange the furniture in my house. I can't do that to my neighbor's house or to my brother or to my sister or, or cousin. They say, what are you doing? Leave the furniture alone. The same thing with the human body. The human body, we have natural rights over our body. Uh, and so... Those natural rights that come from natural law and divine positive law, because you are you, also gives us the right to bless ourselves and to drive demons from ourselves. Doesn't give us the right to drive demons from other people unless those people are under your authority, like your wife or your kids. Now, uh, some people have general authority to bless and drive demons out. Those are called priests. And... Uh, and, and they have their general practitioners uh, in the body of Christ. They have authority over all the baptized in, uh, in Mark 16. When you look at that passage and you go back to Mark, to Matthew 28 in context, when you read Mark 16, that promise was being given to the apostles. And I know a lot of people, they, they'll stretch it. They'll say, well, oh, that promise is given to me. Well, it's given to you in a limited way. You're not a priest. Uh, you're not a sacerdotal priest. You're the priest of your house. So that power is given to you over your uh, over your domestic church, over your house. The sacerdotal priest, they have power over all the baptized. That's the difference. But even when it comes to cases uh, of, 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 of possession, the demons know very, very clearly what we can and can't do. And in fact, one of the very famous cases, let me show the book here. Uh, this is one of the, the most famous cases of exorcism in the Catholic Church. It's called The Exorcism of Nicola Aubrey. It's put out by 10. It's a thin book. It, this happened about 200 years ago. Very, very, very famous case of exorcism. Okay. What's interesting here is that the demon told the priest, he says, the priest is doing everything. This is back 200 years ago. The priest is doing the, the rite of exorcism. He's doing everything. And the demon, the priest asks the demon, why aren't you leaving? <laughs> and the demon says, because your bishop doesn't fast. Boom. Beca the demon says, your bishop, he doesn't fast. So notice that, again, demons understand patriarchy. They know the pecking order, that everything comes from the trinity that flows through the bishop. The bishop shares his priesthood 
with this sacerdotal priest, and then we, in a limited way, share a, a, a priestly office through baptism in, in a much lesser degree than, than a Catholic priest does. And so, in this very famous case that uh, me and my wife just read over the weekend, the book just came out, but it's a very famous case. Uh, the demon is, told the, the priest straight out, the priest was holy and doing everything right, and the demon says, your bishop doesn't fast, we're not going to leave. Because, again, the demon knows that the power, the authority, ultimately to drive out a demon, comes from the bishop. And, 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 is the Pope a bishop? <laughs> yeah, he's a bishop. He's a bishop okay. of Rome. <laughs> so, uh, just, uh, just asking. Yeah, just asking. All right, Eddie. <laughs> Let's moving right along. Um, we'll go to the next. The next. Uh, uh, well, some of the questions. This year, that a, this year, just a review. Just the questions uh, I think here. Okay, so let's jump on to lesson two. Yes. Uh, yeah, holy. And unholy alliances. Now, uh, you'll also hear in Catholicism sometimes they'll call it soul ties, uh, and then some people object to saying soul ties. That's what Protestants call it. Well, uh, we came way before Protestants. We actually call it holy and unholy alliances, but it means the same thing. It's it, it's a synonym with saying soul ties. Dr. James Dobson from uh, Focus on the Family back in the seventies, he came out with that word as a psychologist. As a, as a Christian evangelical psychologist, he came up with that word soul ties, but he actually borrowed it from the Catholic practice of holy and unholy alliances. Okay, so so Dan writes here, uh, if you, Eddie, you want to jump on the first paragraph there? Sure, sure. It says, upon seeing David armed, not as a warrior, but with the weapon of the common shepherd, Goliath says, am I a dog that you come to me with a staff? Then the Philistine cursed David by his gods, Samuel, 1 Samuel 17. To this day, feral dogs roam the Middle Eastern deserts outside of the cities, surviving off refuse. David would often would have often used his slingshot to defend his sheep against these pack animals. According to Scott Hahn, the dog in the Old Testament is a scavenger equated with impurity. A dog was also a derogatory term, for example, to describe a male prostitute. That's in Deuteron Deuteronomy 23. In addition, the, cube, the cultic purity of ancient Israel held in disdain the ritualistic cultural, excuse me, cult, cultic sexual practice of, of, of the surrounding Gentiles. Hold that thought, right. Eddie. We'll have to pick it up next week. We'll okay, stop right there. Yep. Got it. Jesus 911. Next week, we'll pick it up on holy and unholy alliances, or AKA soul ties, and how to break soul ties. You don't, you don't want to miss next week, because this is where a lot of people get uh, get enmeshed with the diabolical. Up next, Jerry Matuda, hands on apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for us, we are out. EOW, end of watch. God bless you. Keep the faith. We are 10 7 out. <laughs>